The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. Hello, and welcome to The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My name is Joni Siegel. I'm the host for the podcast. My husband, Steve Siegel, is the producer and co-founder of the podcast. Today's episode is episode number 339. And just a reminder to please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And please give us a good rating because then when people do a Google Google search, our podcast comes up and we are all about offering hope and help to those who need it, who are suffering from addiction. Please also subscribe to our YouTube channel if you'd like to watch our videos. And if you ring the bell, you'll get notified every time we do a video. Please also give us a thumbs up on those videos. So once again, people searching for information on addiction will find us. Today we have an interview with a lady named Amy Hansen. She is, <clears throat> she is the mother of an 18-year-old son who has struggled with substance use disorder and mental health challenges. He's still alive, which is the good news, but over the past four years, she's got quite the story to tell with us. So let's talk to Amy Hansen. Amy Hansen, thank you so much for being willing to be on the podcast today and telling your story, but also your son's story as you know it. Joni, thank you for having me. Thanks for allowing me to actually share our story uh, on a larger scale. Um, I'm very appreciative of that. Well, I appreciate you and I can appreciate what you've gone through. I have not experienced it personally, but um, I can only imagine. So take us back. Tell us, what is your son's name? Do you mind sharing? That's no problem. My son's name is Walter. Okay, Walter. So take us back to Walter's childhood what it was like, um, as far as you know, how he got started on drugs. Okay, um, so Walt, we call him Walt. Um, he had a great childhood, to be honest with you. He was fortunate to be able to travel to different places, grew up in a lovely neighborhood. Neighbors would often comment on how he was so self-confident, comfortable in his own skin. He was an absolute delight, an only child, um, just sweet as can be. So we fast forward to my son entering eighth grade and in eighth grade, he lost um, a friend to suicide. <sighs> a young, young woman, 13 years old, um, completed suicide. And um, my son happened to be DMing with her on Instagram the night that she died. Oh my God. That is where everything in our life changed. Wow. Do you know, Amy, was she doing drugs? Do you know? You know, I, I don't know for a fact, but what I can tell you is that it sounds as though my son and some other kids surrounded within that group used to smoke pot together. Ah. Uh, okay. So I, I don't know it for a fact, but um, based on what I've learned up to this point, I, I think it would be a pretty safe assumption. Okay. So what happened with Walt after that? So Walt, um, you know, he, he was pretty down. The school didn't handle it very well, but I really actually didn't even handle it at all. Did the he talk to you about it? Did you know? 
I did talk to him about it. Yes. And then I got him in to see a psychologist to work through some of the grief. Um, and also understanding that, uh, you know, he probably was taking on some shame and blame. And, um, so we started down that road. There were a couple of teachers who spoke to the kids who were brave enough to take on the, um, the subject of suicide at such a young age, the school to a great degree um, ignored it. They brought in grief counselors for two days. My son tried to see a grief counselor. They said, we don't have enough room or we don't have enough counselors today. And then they shifted to the policy of that the kids would have to go to the school office to request help. I don't know about you, but I don't know too many kids who are 14 or younger, especially boys, to be honest, are going to go into an office and say, I need help. Nope. Nope. Not going to do it. So we fast forward. It had to have been, let's see, three months. So his friend died on um, February 6th. And I remember that because uh, my son's birthday is on February 2nd. So we fast forward to June. He gets done with this particular middle school. And from this point, you know, he's been going to school with these kids since kindergarten then they would transition into high school. My son has a tonic-clonic seizure and gets, gets diagnosed with generalized epilepsy. So a tonic-clonic seizure, what it looks like is pretty bad. It's what used to be called a grand mal seizure. Uh, and okay. um, yeah. so his friend was over and said, could you come down in the basement, Amy? Um, I think that there's something weird with Walt. So I went down there, he had foam, blood coming out of his mouth. He was turning blue. I called 911. My husband is upstairs. It just is chaos, right? Um, so <laughs> I still don't actually know, did he vape something? Um, I don't know, and I can't ever know that, but I have my suspicions. Hmm. And his friend couldn't or wouldn't shed any light on that. That I mean, that's right. That's I asked, and he said no, no. And you know, now as time has uh, you know fast forwarded, these two are inseparable, and of course, as drugs uh, kind of took over his life, of course, many of his friendships fell by the wayside, and that was one of them. So I, I don't know that I'll ever know the truth. All right. Okay, so you called 911? Mm-hmm. Uh, he, you know, was taken to Children's Hospital, was admitted there in the uh, pediatric intensive care. They watched over him. And then he got diagnosed with generalized epilepsy. So at that point, our lives changed quite a bit, and it was yet another trauma, a medical trauma, to add on top of the trauma that existed from losing his friend. Right. So um, then we, you know, we learn how to adapt. We learn how to adjust as our son is to be gaining more independence. We have to take it back because if he has another seizure, we need to administer um, an emergency medication, which was, of course, Valium, which at some point becomes important in our story because my son then steals it from us. Understood. So then we, so we, we progressed forward into ninth grade at the end of ninth grade, of course, is when COVID um, hit. Okay. And it was just a confluence of uh, 
bad events that really kind of, I think, created a perfect storm for somebody who maybe had the propensity um, to become an addict for that to happen. Wow. So he, you said he stole the Valium from you. Do you know what other drugs he was doing, where he went from there? You know, so we know a little bit because uh, our son ended up on probation because of um, some crimes that he had committed, which is a whole nother crazy story. But um, we know that he had tried cocaine. We knew that he had tried meth. Um, we knew that other amphetamines had showed up in his UAs that were being administered through probation. And so drugs, he was to stay away from drugs as being part, you know, being on probation. Right. But, but sadly, nothing is done with that. Nothing is enforced. Um, he was able to literally break every rule of probation and have no consequence. Wow. Well, then it's one thing to say as part of your probation, you have to stay away from drugs. But what treatment was offered at that point to ensure that that would happen? Uh, nothing. Yeah. I, Nothing. What eventually ended up happening is our son had to do an IOP, um, but it met four days a week virtually. He would show up once, maybe every week to two weeks, and he was not discharged. It just they just let him phone it in, and uh, no real therapeutic help was happening. We need to talk about a serious issue affecting our communities. Since 1999, over 932,000 lives have been lost due to drug overdose poisonings. The numbers are staggering, and it's time to act. In March 2022 alone, over 100,000 deaths were reported due to drug poisonings. The heart-wrenching truth is that teen overdose deaths have doubled in just three years. Through education and the use of naloxone, we can make a difference. Naloxone is a life-saving FDA-approved medication that can rapidly reverse the effect of opioids, especially fentanyl, the leading cause of drug poisonings. Dan Zito is a national drug trends educator who provides impactful situational awareness presentations to law enforcement officials, healthcare practitioners, outreach specialists, and drug-free coalitions. This is a call to action. Learn more about naloxone and be an ambassador to help others and save lives. For more information, reach out to Dan Zito, danzito at gmail.com, 727-214-4922. Sometimes, the hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman, a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist, has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 866-989-4499 today. And say the word podcast to get a 10% discount. Or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby. We appreciate you listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. We don't do this podcast because we are former addicts. 
We don't do this podcast because we have loved ones who have suffered from addiction. We do this podcast because we feel that addiction is one of the biggest problems facing the world today, and that no matter who you are, no matter your religion, no matter your income status, no matter your race, no matter anything about you, addiction affects you. This podcast is a free resource for anybody looking for help with addiction. If you would like to contribute to our podcast, please go to bit.ly slash fight drugs. That's H-T-T-P-S colon slash slash B-I-T dot L-Y slash fight drugs and make a donation of whatever amount you would like. Thank you for supporting us. Unbelievable. But, but we could pay for it. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. So um, it has been uh, over four years now, over four years now of complete chaos. Um, yet I, I don't want to focus like on what is negative about this, because I think that there are some amazing things. I think that systems themselves have great intentions. The mm-hmm. inability of them to work together has been astounding. Um I also, as part of Al-Anon, part of uh, Embrace Family Recovery, um, as part of Hope Stream um, or the Stream community, we have quite a bit of support. And I never would have had the opportunity to meet some of the amazing, strong people that I've met. And I had no idea about this world until we became immersed in it. I now know um, no one is immune to it. It's correct. And fentanyl is everywhere. That's correct as well. And um, we need to do something about this. Yep. Yep. I, I, it's, it's devastating to learn that something couldn't have been done better with the system um, for your son. And I'm, I'm sorry. I really am sorry for that. It's, yeah. Anyway, so you've learned a lot, obviously, dealing with this problem and dealing with the system and dealing with different attorneys. And I think your bio said you've spent quite a bit of money on this. Was that rehabs that you did, in fact, pay for? Yes. So, yeah, we've spent over $200,000. Yep. And that's not uncommon. No, And so the things that we've spent money on would be interventionists, transport teams, um, educational consultants, wilderness therapy, in which we had been assured our son would be um, kept track of, I guess is what you'd say. that Monitored, he would whatever, yeah. Right. But he ran from two programs. And uh, running from the second program is what uh, ended up putting him in jail in the state of Georgia. Um, and what, what happened is he ran with another kid. They stole a car. They crashed the car. And then he ended up in juvenile detention. Okay. Because um, he was how old at the time? Oh, gosh. Was he 15 at that time? <sighs> oh, my God. And we're in COVID, 
um, judicial system is, you know, set up or the juvenile detention system, we get a letter saying, um, please encourage family and friends to write. Um, and, you know, we know that, you know, you often hear um, connection is the opposite of addiction, right? So, you know, you, you need to, or addiction is the opposite of connection, you know, that you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, you know, so we thought, okay, we are going to rally the troops. We are going to get as many people as we can to write to him, to show him support, to hopefully boost his uh, depression and great sadness and regret. Um, so if we, I can't even tell you how many people wrote. Every single one of the letters got returned to the person with a letter attached saying that uh, they were not on the approved list. There was no approved list. And why would there be an approved list for a letter? I don't understand that. Sorry. Oh, I'm, there's so many things that I don't understand. And there's also so many things that now I will advocate to attempt to make change. You are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast or to reach out, if you have a story you would like to share with us, go to our Facebook page by the same name or you can email us at theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com or go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review. A mom with a passion, like I, and I'm not, that's not to discount fathers or no, any I know. caregivers, but just like there is a passion and a connection that uh, cannot be denied. You don't hear a lot about Papa Bear, but you definitely hear a lot about Mama Bear. Yes, you do. Yep. Yep. Wow. Wow. So when was the last time you spoke to him? I, I spoke to him, gosh, uh, was it maybe a week and a half ago? Okay. We, we text, but he graduated from high school. Okay. Uh how that happened, um, you know, that was a case of us having to hire an education lawyer uh, in order to have him receive what we believed would be a fair and appropriate public education, which it was a complete joke. Um, but he now has a high school diploma. It is one obstacle that will be out of his way. So I spoke to him on graduation, um, had dinner with him, brought his girlfriend out. We had a delightful time. Okay. Does he acknowledge that he has a problem or no? You know, he does know that he has a problem. He does. Um, you know, he now is on Suboxone. Um, so he overdosed in February. My son or my husband was out of the country. My son and I had had a bit of a fight because he stayed out all night and came home super high. And uh, I said, I, I just need to step away from this. I stepped away and for whatever reason, you know, my son survived a car crash. <laughs> he survived this overdose. Um, that what ended up happening is I left the house, came back about 60 to 90 minutes later and I couldn't wake him. And I saw mm -hmm. a couple of vape cartridges on his bed and I said, holy crap, this is an overdose. Right. I did not have the wherewithal. I was very stressed out to go get the Narcan. I called 911. They kept me on the line. They said, put your hand on his 
chest. And as he breathes, just state the word breath. And that's what I did. And then the paramedics uh, arrived and they revived him with Narcan. Okay. Um, so that yes. was February. Yes. Is that when he started on Suboxone? Was that a little bit of a wake-up call for him or? No, I don't think so. I, I don't okay. think so. He spent, we ended up, uh, we were able to have him held because he was, you know, he, number one, he was withdrawing. He was crazy, calling incessantly, um, saying just completely off the rails things, including when I get out of here, I'm going to end it all. Right. Oh, of course, you talk to the physician about that. And they did take it seriously. Um, to get him to the hospital, though, that was a whole nother deal. They would not transport him because he was 18 and he freaked out in the ambulance and said, let me out. So they let him out. So it took us then, or I contacted a psychiatrist on call. They were uncomfortable about it. They sent out a mobile crisis team. And the mobile crisis team made a different decision. So then he was transported, sedated, and admitted to the hospital. Was he admitted to the mental hospital? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yep, to the psych ward. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. And so, you know, I guess sort of luckily for us, it fell over the time of a holiday and on a weekend. So that bought us a couple extra days to have right. him be stabilized. And at the end of that, we said, um, basically, either here is a bus ticket. We had a social worker give him a bus ticket, address for a homeless shelter, or you can go to what is a very well-known um, treatment place with here in Minnesota. So he went to the place in Minnesota here, um, and he really played a power play with um, locking us out of information. Huh. So it, because at this point he's 18, even before he was 18, he was able to control a fair amount of information. But what ended up happening, he phoned it in for about three weeks. Uh, he was scheduled because afterwards we saw some of the paperwork that um, he was for sure scheduled for eight weeks. He wanted out. And he got out. And then what happened? We did not know that opioids were a true problem until he was released from this treatment center. They handed him a bag of medications with uh, no instructions. And uh, what we got was then instead maybe pill bottles that had um, an overlay um, sticker that would say dosage has changed c-chart that is of no use to us but what we did find is that there was suboxone in there huh. that is how we then figured out by going through his psychiatrist's office who we had uh released through to get how things were to be dosed to get what medications he truly was on and how we would ever navigate this. Mind you, we have a kid who's an addict, struggling with depression, undeveloped brain. And that's who you release with a bag of pills. Wow. 
I, so I, I, am I salty? Am I angry? Do I think it is uh, bad? Yeah, I, I am. But I also say, okay, so how do we do this better? Yeah. Yeah. There's got to be a better way. I mean, that, I, uh, yeah. So what did you come up with? What's your plan? To be honest with you, we don't really have much of a plan right now. Um, we have boundaries in which there are not going to be drugs or strangers in our house. Um, the disrespect of us uh, has to cease or he will be on the streets. Okay. I, I didn't so much mean what's planned for him, although well, I know that that's probably first and foremost in your mind. But just in terms of maybe educating other parents mm -hmm. on some of the pitfalls that you've run into, is that something that you're going to be doing going forward? Absolutely. So I'm writing a book. It okay. is in the process right now of, of me writing it. Um, I also will be facilitating, co-facilitating a couple of substance use disorder um, sessions next week for Hennepin County. Um, I'm connecting with anyone that I can connect with where I can have a voice yep. um, because I, I think that we are quite aligned in this way, but I believe that the most powerful way to change is to tell stories and to keep on telling them. You have a human element. You understand it can happen to anyone. And I, I truly believe that most everyone is affected, whether or not they know it yet, by addiction. And that is exactly what we feel. We don't have addiction in our family, thank goodness. And, but that doesn't mean it doesn't affect us. This mm -hmm. is a problem facing our society and facing us as humans. And for people to say, it has nothing to do with me, is, you know, like putting your head in the sand. It's just, it's ridiculous. And, you know, just because it happened to you and not to me, doesn't mean it doesn't affect me. Right. I mean, where is our compassion? Where is our empathy? That I believe it's a public health crisis. Absolutely. The fentanyl, I mean, if nothing else, the fentanyl, but just the system and, you know, yeah. We could, we could talk a lot about, you know, the handful of drugs that your son is given as he leaves as someone who already has a drug problem. It's like, you know, you kind of want to go, what exactly are you thinking? I'm not exactly tracking. And anyway, yeah. Right. So how do we shift policy? You know, like how do we make, how do we view things differently? Like 18 doesn't have to be a set number. Right. Like. There are other circumstances. An 18-year-old does not have a developed brain. Well, and especially not if he's got long-term drug usage because that prevents the development of the brain anyway. Correct. You know? Right. So, you know, like, how do we, how do we add some flexibility within some of our policies so that it actually suits the needs of people? Right. Right. So I, I think it's by brainstorming, right? Yeah. Yep. So right now he doesn't think he really has a problem and doesn't want to try getting off Suboxone or... 
you know, he says that he would like to get off Suboxone because one of the side effects, he says that it makes him sweat a lot and it's mm-hmm. uncomfortable. Um, but, you know, his actions and his words are not often in alignment. Yeah. So, you know, what I have learned through all of this, I cannot want it more than he wants it. That's that correct. Is very, that's become very clear. Tried to control it for a very, very long time. And then you reach a point of it's on them. Yep. You're right. You're right. You cannot control it. So if you had a message for other moms who may be going through something like this, what would you tell them? A couple things. Listen to your gut. Always. Um, if something feels like it's not right, it's not right. And I would pursue that. Um, the other thing, educate yourself, take in as much knowledge as you can. Uh, I believe prevention that we need to promote prevention through storytelling and education. And I think we have to do it in a way. I, I have not watched Dominique's um, film yet, but I was so excited to listen to that podcast. Um, I, I think that we have to engage young people in a different way. Um, this is not necessarily to parents, but we need to hold social media accountable for what is happening. My son bought and sold drugs on Instagram and Snapchat. I, you know, these are technology people. I could figure out in two minutes, you know, probably 10 different drug deals. Yep. Somebody needs to hold them accountable. We have kids dying because drugs are being delivered to their front door. Yep. Yep. So how do we do that? And we've talked, and we've talked to people about that. Now my husband is way better with names than I am. But one of the gentlemen talked specifically about Snapchat and meeting with the, you know, the higher ups on Snapchat. And there does have to be accountability. I agree with you. Mm-hmm. And so how do we how do we do that? You know, they're powerful. I get that. But like, so are we. Yep. Because that's where your power in numbers is. Yes. And if you can get in front of other moms and other fathers and, you know, there are groups out there and we can help connect you up with some of those groups, you know, there's power in numbers. Yes. And that's what, you know, we've got way too many people dying to not care about this. That's right. That's exactly right. Ed Turnin, my husband just popped it in the chat. Ed Turnin. Okay. Yep. But- and and that's one of our episodes, and it was about fentanyl because it was about kids getting, you know, uh, what they think is a Percocet or what they think is a Xanax off of Snapchat, and it turns out it's fentanyl, and boom, they're dead. So yeah, and Ed has an organization that you might be able to hook up with, but we will we'll give you that information, and. Um, I appreciate you being willing to talk to us because I know this is not a pleasant subject for you, but you're obviously passionate about it. And I appreciate the fact that you are not giving in to the shame, blame and regret and what have you that a parent could do. And you are more um, interested in taking names and kicking butt. 
<laughs> that is correct. And you know, it's something that there's a quote that has stuck out in my head lately. And it's like, don't lower your head except for to tie your shoe. And I believe that we have to hold our heads high and we have to press forward and you have to consider that background noise, exactly that, it is noise. Yep, yep. Thank you so much for talking to us today. Yes, thank you. I appreciate you and definitely keep us posted about your book because we send out an email every week talking about the episode that goes up on each Thursday and I will want to promote your book when it's done and when it's published. So don't forget to let us know, okay? I promise you, I will let you know. Awesome. Thank you for listening. I know that some of you are mothers and parents, and you are either going through what Amy's going through, or you have gone through it. Maybe your child made it through addiction and is clean and sober. Maybe your child didn't make it. But no matter how the journey went, it's a horrific journey. And some of the lessons that she had to learn, I, I wish she hadn't had to learn them, but she's smarter now and is definitely wanting to share her story with others. So thank you for listening. And if you have someone who's addicted, get them into treatment and don't wait. Okay. If you, if they're not ready to do a treatment because they don't feel they need it, there's always Bobby Newman, newmaninterventions.com. Have a great week. We'll talk to you again next week. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, reach out to us on Facebook or go to www.theaddictionpodcast.com. Our email is theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com.